Well, praise the Lord. Let's get into God's word. And, but here's the thing. Before I go to the book of Mark chapter 5, I've got to take you to the book of Luke chapter 4. All right. The book of Mark is a great book. You know, we've been teaching on it for quite some time. And it has a lot of what Jesus had to uh, do, his actions, rather than what he said. And so I call the book of Mark an action book. It's like the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in Luke chapter 4, I wanted to read something to you. Because when we get into chapter 5, if the Lord allows me to go there today, you'll see why Jesus was doing the things that he did. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. Now, it's interesting that it's worded that way, that he returned in the power of the Spirit. And you would think because he's Jesus, he would not have to have the power of the Spirit. But I've said this many times, Jesus was powered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in Christ in the same way that he's in us. The only difference is he had the Spirit without measure. He was full of the Holy Spirit from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. And so when God operated in Jesus's earthly ministry, and I say it like this, this is his earthly ministry. This is the part where God uses the body of Jesus Christ to speak to the world as God in the flesh. And a lot of people have a problem with Jesus being God in the flesh, but you got to go with what the word says. You know, it's not something intellectually you can just kind of figure it out, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, I mean, we could try to explain that. It says what it says, but the word of God, that spoken word, became flesh. In other words, it put on flesh, and the flesh that it put on was Jesus's flesh because Jesus was sinless. He was not born under Adam. He was born of the Holy Spirit as he hovered over Mary, and he was conceived that way. It was not the doing of a man. So Jesus did not have a sin nature. So therefore, I can see now how the power of God could dwell in Jesus without measure because there was no sin in the way. See, we have sin in our lives so that the power of God can operate in us when we're walking in confession of our sins to God. But if you're carrying sin in your life, it's going to be hard for the power of God to work through that thing because sin hampers or hinders the power of God from working in your life. So you want to think about that. Now, listen. It says he returned in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through all the district. And he began teaching in their synagogues. Another thing, Jesus didn't have his own church. He used their synagogues. So Jesus taught in their synagogue because there was no use of Jesus building a church in a physical structure because what Jesus emphasized was a building of the body of Christ. He was building you. He was building me. He was going to reside on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So he had no need of a building, really. I mean, we are the body of Christ. No, you're not that you're the temple of God. See, he lives on the inside of you. He lives and breathes through you. So you belong. You've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus. He's on the inside of you. So when you say, well, I'm going to go to church, it's probably the wrong statement to make. You're not going to church. You're going to assemble. You and I are the church. That's what's important about that. Now, listen. In verse 15, again, he began teaching in their synagogue and was praised by all. Now, remember that he was praised by all. In verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So that's where he was raised in Nazareth. It was his custom as a Jewish boy. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So that's interesting, too, that Jesus kept the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. And it would be true because he was fulfilling all things. Amen. He had to fulfill all things. He kept the Sabbath. Now, we don't keep the Sabbath today by law, but Jesus kept the Sabbath because he had not yet died. He was fulfilling all things. 
He did everything that the law said and that the law required, and it was required in custom that you keep the Sabbath. And remember, God said that the Sabbath was holy, and he never said it was unholy. He never said he did away with it, but it's not legalism that makes us worship on a Sabbath day because now that we've received Jesus Christ, every day is a Sabbath. Because every day is a rest. Every day is a day that we've come to faith in Jesus. And that's what the Sabbath was to make them mindful that God rested on the seventh day. So Jesus didn't break any laws because he was getting ready to fulfill all the laws. Amen. So listen at this now. And so he stood up to read in verse 17. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Now listen carefully. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Did you see that in there? He was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. There are two thoughts on being poor and having poverty in your life. There are the physically poor, object poverty, and there are those who are poor because they don't know God. They are broken on the inside and lost and they're poor. And Jesus came to preach a message of good news to cause them to become rich in relationship with God. So God is not really sanctioning poverty. I mean, God says that poverty is a curse, but he also is not looking at just what you can have or eat or drink, but he wants you to know that you need to be filled. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. So you can be rich in wealth and material things, but be poor in a sense of a relationship with God. As we found in this story of the young rich ruler, he had everything. He thought he did all the commandments. And yet the Bible says Jesus exposed them. He said, but there's something that you lack. And he wanted to know what it was. And Jesus didn't tell him what it was, but he told him something to do. He said, go sell what you have, give to the poor and follow me. He just told him what to do. And the guy left, the Bible says, and was very sorrowful. And he was grieved in his heart because of that. He had great possessions. And see, so what Jesus exposed him of is the man was holding on to his goods and he was not willing to let go of the things that he owned to follow Jesus in a relationship. He was not willing to share what he owned and take care of the poor. So how could you have the spirit of God in you and not take care of people who are having problems and people who need things? See, any person in Christ is going to share what they have. That's part of the spirit. God so loved he did what? Gave. God so loved he did what? Game. And if you can so love and you keep, you can't be loving the way God loves. See, so our father is a giver. Therefore, if we're going to be his children, we're going to be what? Givers. And anybody that's so tight, they squeak when they walk. You can't know God. You got to be able to give. And I'm not one of those guys who get in on the pulpit and use the pulpit to try to exact monies from you. But what I'm talking about is something bigger than your money. You have a life to give, right. right? You have things that God has placed on inside of you to give. See, it's not just money. It is money and it's everything else. When he talks about the tithe or when he talks about offerings, he talks more about your time, your talent, and your treasure. All the things that you have, God wants you to give of yourself. Well, this young rich ruler didn't see it that way. He said, I kept all the commandments, but yet he wasn't giving and he wasn't following Jesus. And therefore, he walked away from the biggest answer to his question that he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him the answer and he walked away from it. Right. So Jesus was anointed to preach to the poor. And so we should keep the poor in mind. Now, listen. And he has sent me. This is Jesus talking of himself to proclaim 
release to captive. See, God doesn't want people bound up and captive. He doesn't want people in bondage. So he sent Jesus to set people free from captivity. And there are a lot of things that can hold you captive when you don't know the Lord. And there's some things that can hold you captive when you do know the Lord. When you're disobedient and you know God, you can be captive to your own sin. Amen? And saying when you don't know the Lord, you're captive to the sin nature and all those things that have to do with sin. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Right. So we have to be able to understand that what we have been given is a grace opportunity. And if you have that grace opportunity, you need to seize that and receive it. Amen. So Jesus said that he has been sent to set the captives free. Now, I said that because where we're going to go in Mark chapter five, somebody was captive, but not only the person was captive, that person's captivity was causing captivity for everybody. Sometimes what you're bound by and what binds you binds other people. The thing that you're so given and prone to do not only ensnares you, but ensnares everybody that you have influence over. It ensnares everybody that you love and it can ensnare you and your children and their children and to all those down in further generations to the third and the fourth generation. So it behooves you to get free. Amen. See, your alcoholism can cause problems for your children. Right. All of that with alcoholism is a spirit of anger. There's a spirit of waste, a spirit of loss. And also with alcoholism, there's a spirit associated with death. Death to all kinds of things. People, families break up behind it. You know, people get killed behind it. You know, you're just driving down the street one day. Somebody's drunk driving and they just swerve over and have a head on collision. And that person has no idea what's going on. But their alcoholism, because that person is bound by alcoholism and the spirit associated with it, can cause problems for everybody else around you. So anything that is an issue for you, I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, I think that my sin is private and it's personal and it's my personal business. Well, if you were on the earth by yourself, that might be true. <laughs> but you look around, there's people around you. And so if you have the sin germ and it's active in your life, it's contagious. And it's passed down from generation to generation. So until my father or my mother comes to know Jesus, we're all affected by the sin generation because our original father, Adam and Eve, passed on the sin gene. You see, and so when somebody breaks that chain in the family and gets saved, now everybody in the family has an opportunity to come to the word of God. And I'm able to pray for my family now. I'm able to stop the curse, stop the generational patterns, and begin to show my family a new life, something that I never knew, you know, and that's what you want to do. So you want to get free from things. The Bible tells us that Jesus was sent to set the captives free. He wants people free. Now listen, and release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Now we see in scripture, Jesus healed physical blind eyes. He did it many ways. He spoke to some, he spat on the ground and rubbed clay and put it in their eyes. He healed blind eyes. But I think he's talking more than just blind eyes here because people who can see physically can still die spiritually. So God wants us to get beyond physical sight and get to spiritual sight. Amen. Because though you have seeing eyes, you may have an unbelieving heart. Amen. You think about that for a minute. I can see, but yet my seeing doesn't help me believe. What happened to Thomas? Thomas said, I will not believe that Jesus showed up and appeared here unless I see with my eyes. So the first thing that Jesus addressed when he came back, 
is he went to Thomas and he addressed him about his unbelief. And he said, blessed are those who believe and do not see. And Thomas was embarrassed by that statement that Jesus made and he fell on his face and cried out to him. But see, just because you have seeing eyes doesn't mean that your heart can see. So I always ask God to open the eyes of our heart that we might see Jesus. Your heart has, has an eye. It's a metaphor for being able to see spiritually. Amen. It's just a metaphor. God's using that analogy to help you to be illuminated, to hear the word of God. So when we look at this again, he says recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden. Now think about the downtrodden, people who are down and out. You know, a lot, a lot of us like to look at homeless people as down and out. You see, that's the down and out. Well, I've learned since then, since I've been in the ministry, working in ministry for quite some time, I have more people up and out than those who are down and out. Meaning that you got a lot of white collar, a lot of big business people, a lot of rich people. You got people everywhere. It's not just the homeless who are downtrodden. Sometimes it's the wealthy who are downtrodden. But they're up and out like they're down and out. And Jesus wants everybody to come in. Amen. So we got to reach up and then we got to reach down. We got to go on the highway and then we got to go on the byway. And we got to do what the Bible says to compel them to come in. So reach everybody. Don't let the outward appearance of somebody fool you. Sometimes the most best dressed people are the most hurt. I've spent a lot of time in the streets dealing with homeless people and they're just houseless. Some of them are not homeless. Meaning they don't have a house, but they're at home with Jesus. And there are a lot of people who are not at home with Jesus that have a nice house. So you can't judge by looking at the appearance of a person. People used to tell me all the time, well, pastor, if you're a minister, why don't you dress like a minister? And I said, well, pray tell, how does a minister dress? <laughs> tell me. I'm ignorant of that. God forgot to mention that when he called me. You know, I mean, you know, if he want me to buy a suit, then he didn't supply the money to go get it. So I wore what I had. Right. I just wore what I had. And when I look back in the days when Jesus preached the gospel and Paul and those guys preached the gospel, all the people preached the gospel, it wasn't the clothing. It was the anointing of God. How about a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? Yeah. See, it's not your dress. I mean, you know, gangsters wear nice suits. Huh? The pimps wear nice suits. I mean, you can put a gangster and a pimp and a pastor up here, and if you're going by a suit, you wouldn't know who was who. Which one is the anointed one? Which one is it? The gangster, the pastor, and the pimp? You choose. It has nothing to do with the clothing. Now, mind you, if you got nice clothing, put your clothes on, but that's not going to get you closer to God. Amen. Not going to get you closer to God. I mean, Reggie's sharp as a tack. He come in here every week. I look at him from head to toe. I want his clothes, and I've been in the sin of coveting. I said, give me them shoes, boy. <laughs> but my point is, it's not the clothing. Jesus had just your common garments on, and he was not looking like majesty. He looked like a commoner. You know, and his family was in carpentry. You know, get it right. Carpentry is not building houses, it's making furniture. <laughs> he was in the furniture business. He probably knew Jerome. <laughs> you know, people think Jesus' family is in carpentry. He's going to build a mansion for him. It's not the kind of mansion he's talking about, folks. He's talking about dwelling places in his father, in relationship to you. And God has made a place for you to be. You're not getting no mansion in heaven. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. You're not getting a big house. You get your house here. You get to heaven, we're going to be in Christ. We, he's in us, and we're in him, and we're in God. That's where it is. There are no big mansions. What does heaven look like with big skyscraping mansions all over the place? No. 
Now, see, we got misnomers about heaven and all this kind of stuff. Did you know God said he's going to make a new heaven, a new earth? And he said new Jerusalem is going to come down. Yeah, yeah it's going to come down. We're not going to be up there hanging around like a chandelier. You got to know these are things that people say at funerals that you take as truth because most ministers, when they're funerals, they don't want to say things that are going to hurt people's feelings. So they say a lot of things to try to comfort you that are not biblical. And that's why I try to tell people, I don't just do funerals as a part of my job. I will do a home going service for you if you're a part of this church, but there ain't going to be no line in it. And you probably don't want to choose me if you didn't know Jesus to do your memorial service because I'm going to talk about you not knowing Jesus so the rest of them don't miss it. Amen. You can't just say things to people to make people feel good. You got to tell the truth. So your greatest obituary is how you live now. You want me to say good things about you? Do it now. <laughs> do it now. Live, live in such a way that shows Christ so I can share it with you now. <laughs> I can give it to you now. I can bless you now. Give me flowers while I'm alive so I can smell them. He said to set free those who are downtrodden. Verse 19, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And the favorable year of the Lord is his return. He, in other words, the churches are supposed to be preaching that Jesus is coming back. When you turn on the television, if you're not hearing somewhere in somebody's message that Jesus is coming again, they're speaking earthly. They're speaking to your wantonness. They're not speaking to your future. We have to let people know that Jesus is coming back because if we don't let people know he's coming back, we can't purify our souls. What purifies your soul is the idea and knowledge of Jesus returning. And Jesus said this himself, will I find faith on the earth when I return? And what he was actually saying, will I find people faithful to what I taught them when I return? And you want to make sure that you're in a church that preaches that he is coming back for a second time because there's so much teaching out there where some people believe that he's already come back. Heresy. He's not come back yet. And like I said, when I was over in Africa, I realized that I was seeing the same sun in Africa than when I was over here in the United States. And I used to wonder, how is every eye going to see him? The same way everybody sees the sun. All around the world. And when we look up, we can see the sun. You know, and you're going to see Jesus when he returns. He is coming back. Maranatha, Maranatha, the Lord shall return. That will purify your soul. It'll help us act right. When my parents used to go shopping and they tell us to stay home and they say, hey, we'll be back around four o'clock. That purified our souls. <laughs> because I knew at 3.30, <laughs> we better start getting our act right. And sometimes they'd fool us and come home before four o'clock. Guess what? We were caught. Just like some people today. That's why no man, get this when I tell you this, no man knows the day or the hour. Amen. Jesus even said of himself, I don't even know. Only my father knows. So when you have people telling you, I know when Jesus is coming back, just turn around and go on about your business. <laughs> nobody knows when the Lord is coming and nobody knows when you're leaving. Just know that he's coming. So if I know he's coming, that means I need to be what? Ready at all times. There's not a time that I need to slack. I just need to be ready. So think about how your conduct and your behavior is. Are you ready? Are you living in readiness? Are you living in expectation that the Lord shall return one day? And if you're living in that readiness, it's not like I'm not getting ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm not getting ready. I'm ready. And you have to ask yourself, am I ready? 
Am I ready to go if Jesus was to appear now or if I was to slip out of here? Am I ready to meet God? That's a question you have to answer yourself. Am I ready? Listen. So Jesus did all of that and he lined out why he was sent. And verse 20, and he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down <laughs> and all the eyes of all in the synagogue. Listen to this now. were fixed on him. So get a picture of that. Jesus reads out of the book of Isaiah and then he just goes and sits down. And it was such a stunning read, something probably different than any other read before. And he sits down and everybody in the place after he read, he sat down was looking at him. <laughs> you know, nobody did that before. You always read it. It was, it was customary to read in the temple. But this time they felt something funny about this one. Jesus read it and he sat down and they were astonished. Everybody turned to him and look, everybody look at Jeanette. Everybody look at her. See, everybody looking at her. She's done something astonishing, so we're all focused on her. So they're fixed on Jesus. Now get this. Watch this. <laughs> I love Jesus. <laughs> I really love him so much. So he closed the book in verse 20 and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, <laughs> He says, today, <laughs> Look, you guys are thinking, well, I'm getting ready to bust this service out. You know, you guys have been mundane. You've been customary. But you know what? Today. <laughs> I love that today. Say today. today. See, things are getting ready to change. Today, Jesus says to them, no other day but today, like right now. You have experienced something that you've been studying and reading about all this time. But today, watch this. <laughs> I love my Lord. Oh, he began to say to them, today, this scripture, this scripture that I just read to you has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now watch this. In 22, and this is just the way it is too. I've experienced this myself. And all were speaking well of him, right? <laughs> they were like, I can hear him now. Wow, that, I mean, that was really rich. That was different. We never heard anybody read like that before. This was wonderful. They were all just speaking well of Jesus after he said that. But then look what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it says, and they were all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lip. And they were saying, they thought for a minute, is this not Joseph's son? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've been mesmerized and caught up for a minute. But wait a minute. Remember, this is Joseph's son. He's talking about this has been fulfilled in your hearing, but is not this Joseph's son. Y'all know Joseph, the carpenter. This is his son. What are we wondering about? What are we so astonished about? Watch this. <laughs> you know, it, see, reasoning gets in, and we start to question, and we start to become carnal-minded and natural-minded. Jesus set a spiritual tone for them, but now they come out of the spiritual tone after speaking well with them. They say, wait a minute, but this is Joseph's son. And remember the story about Joseph. They don't believe the story that Joseph and Mary told them how Jesus came here in the first place. You know, Joseph was about to put her away privately, but the Holy Spirit came and Mary was pregnant by a command and a demand from God himself. So she was with child. So nobody believed that. They even said later on that Jesus was born of fornication. You see, so they try to minimize and reduce that what happened to Mary and Joseph was not divine. And today, that's the attack on the church. The attack on the church is it all begins with, did Mary conceive or did they fornicate 
and Jesus come about and make a big story of it. That's the lie that's out there. All right. Now, <laughs> in verse 23, and he said to them, no doubt, he says, you will quote this proverb to me. Physician. Now, watch this. He's taking them to the cross now. And they don't even know it. Physician, heal yourself. And when was this said? When Jesus was on the cross. He says, whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So they wanted him to prove himself at this point to say who he was. But Jesus just told them who he was, but they weren't listening. So then he says in verse 24, and then he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his own hometown. Now, you imagine that when you got saved and you went home, what happened? <laughs> you were little somebody, whoever you were, little Ralphie, you know, little Ed, you know, little Joe. You were that little guy that everybody knew. And then you went home and told people you found the Lord and you were born again. Everybody looked at you sideways. But he said a prophet, you know, he's explaining the mindset of the people. When you're in your hometown, the thing that they're going to say to you is, I know you and I know your family. You can't be from God because you came from Mary and Joseph. And they were just common, everyday people. So nothing is divine about you. When I got into the ministry and I told people I was in the ministry, they said, who made you a pastor? Who told you you could be a minister? What school did you go to? What seminary did you go to? What, where did you graduate? And I said, none. Well, then how are you a pastor? I said, God, call me. Well, how are you hearing from God now? So you heard from God. Well, how did it sound? What did God say to you? He called me into the ministry. Well, tell me. Tell me how it sounded. What did he say? He said, I want you to be in the ministry. He's crazy. He's saying God's talking to him. This is the way he talked to me. He's a God is talking to me. Years later, most of them are dead. And the ones that aren't are alive in Jesus because of the word that God placed in my life to speak to them. Because, see, it's not my credential. It's his. It's not my word. It's his word. Jesus is Lord, not Ralph Buchanan. And when he called the disciples, he went out and called people that were fishing. He didn't go to the temple and find the greatest Pharisee and Sadducee and would not see and call them. He, you know, there's a bunch of would not sees out there, you know, and then he went in a common place where they were fishing. And then he went to another place where they were robbing people and stealing taxes. He called that guy, called him. You know, he was horrible. He called him, too. You know, so he went and called the common everyday man. And he called them into the ministry. And nowhere in scripture does it say that you need to go to a theological school or a seminary to know what God has called you. Now, I'm not speaking against those things. If you go there, it's an education. That's all that it is. It's an education. Unless you get discipled by the spirit of God, by somebody else who has the spirit of God, by somebody else who is called, you just have an education. It was such that they had said about the disciples, we can tell that you've been with Jesus. We know that you're unlearned men, but we can tell that you've been with Jesus. And they can tell when you've been with Jesus and not somebody who's teaching about Jesus. See, these guys were eyewitnesses. They became disciples, then they became apostles, and then they were sent. And the ones that went didn't catch. See, God sends some and some just go. And you got to go with the ones that were sent by God. You see, and again, I didn't ask for it. I'm minding my own business in a little Baptist church in the pew as a six-year-old, stubborn, unwilling to go to church, was made to go to church by my mother. I went to the Sunday school teacher. I said, ma'am, I said, I'm going to be sitting in your class in the back row. 
I said, but don't ask me to read because I'm not going to read. I don't, I don't read in front of people. And I thought that she heard me. So we go around the class. They make all the kids in the class read a verse. So I said, man, this woman comes up to me. He says, okay, Ralph, it's your time to read. And I looked at her and I said, don't you know I told you that I don't read? I got up out of my seat and I walked out of the church. Yeah, my pants were warm later, but I walked out of the church because I told her. And what I'm saying is you, I was resistant to what God was doing in my life. Now you can't keep me out of an assembly. You see, so God will send people. He will anoint them. He will appoint them and they'll go out and they'll do what he's called them to do. And it's important. Now watch this. Now I'm going to go back to Mark real quick so you can see the setting of why it's so important for us to accept Jesus for what he says about himself. Now listen, in Mark chapter five, it says in verse one, and they came to the other side of the sea, he says, into the country of the Gerasenes. And verse two says, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Do you see the setting there? A man from where? The tombs, which is graveyards. It's like place where the dead is. Met him with what? An unclean spirit. A man, one man. And it gives the understanding that that one man met Jesus and the one man had an unclean spirit. That just means his spirit was not clean. But it didn't tell you the details until later on. When you have an unclean spirit, there's more to the uncleanness than meets the eye. Where there's dirt, there's more dirt. Where there's disease and bacteria, there's more disease and bacteria. When you have one bad apple, it will spoil the whole bunch. That rot from that one apple, if you don't remove them over time, will spoil the whole bunch of them. So here's a man who meets Jesus and he has an unclean spirit. Let me say something to you today. There are people today who have unclean spirits. This didn't stop with the writing and the biblical use of this text. There are people today that have unclean spirits within them. And you have it in your family and it's passed down generation to generation. And the only thing that could stop an unclean spirit from being contagious is the name of Jesus and a relationship with him. That's the only thing. I know a lot of people are teaching on generational curses. They talk about all this, you know, the generational curses and generational patterns. Jesus' name is stronger than any generation of curses. He can stop all of it. I don't give a lot of credence to all, well, you know, generational curses. I say, what you know about generational blessings? There's a generational blessing that's far more stronger than a generational curse. So watch this. This guy has this unclean spirit. And I want you to see just how knowledgeable an unclean spirit is. And verse three, and he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. And what it says is no one's able to bind him anymore. That means there was a time he was able to be bound. But when you are unclean, you become more unclean. You start picking up other strengths from other spirits. And so when they could bind him in the past, it got to the place where no one can any longer bind him. They put chains on him and it would not hold him. So you know this is going beyond the physical condition of a man. And it's, they have said in some of the studies, the psychologists have said that people get an overwhelming strength from 
a part of their brain, they call it, that gives them this strength, but it's not a part of their brain. It's a part of what's in their spirit. And this is why I say there are still demons today alive and well. And all we've managed to do today without the church is medicate the person which controls the demon to somewhat because the person is medicated and sedated and it doesn't have full use of their body and brain. See, when you medicate yourself, you, you're medicating your faculties and everything that God gives you. So if you're under this strong dose of medicine, demons can't function through the body the way they can without having a person who's unmedicated. So here's a guy living in the tombs. He's already dirty. He's killing you know, himself every day by doing the things he's doing to himself. But not only was he bound, his demon was binding up the town. His demon was affecting the town in such a way that he put fear in the entire town to where nobody was able to pass and come into this place because of this man. So it tells you about strongholds at that point. When somebody in your family has a stronghold, unless somebody bind the strong man, you're not going to be able to get free from it. Somebody has to know Jesus. And I'm not talking about knowing his name. Somebody has to know him in relationship to where his name is powerful. Amen. Watch this. And I think God put this in here to show us that there is nothing too hard for God. So in verse four, he says, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken into pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. So you could see this person with these shackles on and he was banging his hands against rocks. He was clasping them together and he kept doing this stuff. And you can imagine he's got flesh. So he's cutting himself up. He's breaking shackles. Nobody's able to get to him. All the men in the town were afraid of him. They couldn't do anything. He says no one was able to subdue him. No, you need to see that. There was no one strong enough to subdue him. No one. Out of all the strong people they knew, nobody could do it. One man, but nobody was able to subdue him. So watch this. In verse 5, and constantly... Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones, picking up stones, gashing at himself, cutting his flesh up, right? And watch this. Now he's in all this activity. The whole town's afraid. Nobody's coming by this graveyard anymore. Nobody's able to get him. So they're probably telling people, stay away from those mountains, stay away from those tombs. Don't go near there. The guy has not only gone mad, I mean, he's crazy, and he will take your life. So the whole town in this region. But here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus going to the place where no one could go, traipsing through the place, wasn't, wasn't willing to go another way. I got to get somewhere, and I'm going straight through there. They probably were warning him, Jesus, the man's up there. He done lost his mind. He's crazy. You know how y'all do when you live in a neighborhood? Man, don't go on that side of the street. Them people crazy over there. They let the dogs run loose. The man comes out, wet you, water hose, everything. Don't even go over there. They're crazy. Police be over there every weekend. Don't go by there. Here comes Jesus. He's walking through this place, the place that paralyzed the whole town, the place that kept the town in uproar, the place that made folklore over this man, told stories about this man. The stories got bigger, and they got bigger, and here comes Jesus. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus walks through this place. Now watch, verse 6. And Jesus, and seeing Jesus from a distance. So this guy that was full of demons, right? He sees Jesus from a distance. He's probably over there. And he looks up. And he thinks to himself, and he sees Jesus. 
How does he see Jesus from a distance? He's out of his mind. How does he know that's Jesus? And seeing Jesus from a distance, for a moment, he stops cutting himself. He stops screaming and hollering. Here comes Jesus, not listening to no folklore. And he's walking head on towards this guy who paralyzed not only himself, the town, and everybody with fear. Jesus walks up to him. <laughs> this is who you got on the inside of you. Why are you so fearful? Listen, I don't care what you got going, man. You got Jesus with you. And so seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Never seen that before. Everybody else, he screamed at, kicked at, snorted at, scared them. Get out of here! Like the Hulk or something. He walks up to Jesus, and the Bible says, this degenerate, unclean man bows down before him. He bows down before Jesus. He knew what to do. He sees the Lord, and he comes out of that craziness for just enough to bow down to the Lord. Some of you ain't got an unclean spirit, and you won't even bow down to Jesus. He had enough sense to bow down to Jesus, even in his tormented self, his mind. This tells you how strong the spiritual realm is and how realistic it is and how much even in darkness and spiritual realm they know who Jesus is. Seeing Jesus from a distance, they ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, watch this, y'all. What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then he says, I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, he's not scaring nobody anymore. He's scared. He's scared now. For the first time, we see a crazy man who was tormenting everybody else. He sees Jesus, and he said, what do I have to do with you? Who sent you to me, in other words? What are you doing here, Jesus, son of the most high God? So this man knew of the most high God. He knew that there was a son of God coming. He said, what do I have to do with you? He says, don't torment me, because everybody else was trying to stop him. So he had the notion that he was going to be tormented. Well, it was the demons talking. It wasn't the man talking. It was the demons talking. Watch, you'll see as the story unfolds that the demons fear God Almighty. The demons even know that they were kicked out of heaven and they know who God is. And now they see his son walking on the earth, coming towards the place where no man goes. That God had heard that everybody had been getting run out of town over here. And he had Jesus. Remember, Jesus doesn't do anything but what the Spirit tells him to do. So when Jesus was praying one morning, God the Father probably told him, go through the town of Gerasenes. Because I'm going to do something over there. And when you think about the worst people, to show you how little your faith is, you think that somebody on the earth, as nasty as they are, could stop God from doing what he's going to do in that person's life, you have little faith. And showing you a story of somebody who tormented himself and everybody around them, this man, when he was confronted with Jesus, bowed down, first of all, in reverence to him, called out his name, said, you're the son of the most high God, asked the question, what do I have to do with you? Please don't torment me. There's something that he knew that some of us don't even know today. I implore you by God. What are you talking about by God for? You've been tearing people up. How are you imploring somebody by God when you're the problem? I implore you by God is what he's saying. Do not torment me. 
Now watch this in verse 8. For he had been saying to him, now watch this. He'd been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So get a picture of this. This guy is way off a distance. Jesus is walking and Jesus sees him and Jesus is saying to the spirit because he's speaking in the spirit realm, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man. He's walking upon him saying that. So the spirit realm heard him a long time ago. And that's why he was starting to come with the questions and start to beg and implore, Jesus, don't torment me. Jesus had been saying, you see it in the scripture, he had been saying, come out of him, come out of him. Isn't that a powerful thing? Yeah. Verse 8, and he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Notice he didn't talk to the man. Who did he talk to? The unclean spirit. He told the unclean spirit to come out of the man because the unclean spirit not only had the man bound, he had the town bound. And Jesus told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He didn't say, go see your doctor and get more medication. Get a stronger dose. Jesus knew that the root cause of this man's problem was the unclean spirit. But it gets worse. Listen. In verse 9. And he was asking him, what is your name? <laughs> he didn't ask the man what his name was. He's talking to the unclean spirit. What is your name? And he said to him, listen, singularly, my name is Legion. My name, not our name. He said, my name is Legion. I looked up Legion, and a Legion could be anywhere from 3,000, 6,000, upward to 10,000 to 12,000 soldiers in a Roman army. When you use the name Legion, you're talking that many souls, that many boots. And he said... In his uncleanness, my name is Legion. So Jesus is dealing with him, and he says, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion. And then he says, for we are many. So here's one body who had upward three to 12,000 demons in them at any given time. That's what Legion, you can look it up yourself. Legion has anywhere from three to 12,000. So it could possibly mean as much as three to 12,000 demons. You say, how can somebody have that many demons in one spirit? Because it's the spiritual realm. It's not in his flesh. It was in his soul. And God came to deliver souls, to set the captives free, to make blind eyes see, as I read to you earlier, to look for the down and out. Down, downtrodden. I read that to you. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. That anointing was on Jesus as he was walking. And in the spirit realm, this demonic activity acknowledged who he was and began to beg him not to torment them. And so he wanted to know who the guy was. He asked him. He said, my name is Legion. So thousands of demons had taken residence in this man. Now watch this. In verse 9. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat him earnestly, do not send them out in, of the country. So the demon now is asking Jesus, don't send me out of the country. See, demons know they have to be somewhere. And they know he knew he couldn't stay there. Jesus produced the massive eviction of 12,000 demons out of one person. And they were concerned about where they were going to go after this. Look, we've been in this body. He says, don't, 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 don't send us out of the country, meaning that they could have been sent somewhere else. But I want you to see what Jesus does. 
Listen, God was after this town and this country. He was after it. And he knew that there was a stronghold there that he had to break for him to get these people. And you'll see by this that I'm telling you the truth. Watch. So this man's holding up salvation. He's holding up everything because of the legion of demons that's inside of him. And you might want to think the same thing could happen here. It could be in your home. It could be in your family. It could be on your job. Everywhere else you could have always one person holding up the blessings for everybody. It could be one employer with a legion of demons in him. It could be one hospital where the general practicer is a demon. You see, you don't realize how many people, our governments are being controlled by demonic forces. And there are legions of demons in every operation of our government. And we wonder why things are not being dealt with fairly. This is why we need the government of Christ. This is why we need the kingdom of God now to rule in our hearts. Because of the demonic that's out there, the secular world, the humanist ideal mindset. There's a lot of demons that can actually lodge themselves in the minds of the people. I mean, you look at the guy that was shooting all those people up there in Las Vegas. He didn't do that by any human instrumentality. That was demonic, that what he did. Who would come up with a plan to go up there and shoot and rain bullets down on people? I mean, everywhere, all this kinds of stuff. So you know the demons are in control of that kind of stuff. Now watch this. In verse 10, and he began to entreat him earnestly, in other words, begging him not to send them out of the country. And then notice this, watch, in verse 11. Now there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountain. A big herd. Some people say it was about 2,000, but I'm going to go with what my Bible is saying. It's just a big herd. A large herd of swine. Now, what did the Jewish people think about swine? <laughs> you know that they didn't eat pig. They didn't eat no pork. They didn't eat swine. So you have the swine on the side of a hill. And so interesting that the demon says, send us to the swine. Interesting. But remember, you're in a town where people don't really know the Lord. And God's getting ready to introduce himself. What an entrance. What a grand entrance. They didn't know the Lord. They're over there herding pigs, which it was not by law for them to eat them. So they were already out of order eating the swine, which is the janitor of the earth. Whether you know it or not, a pig, and I'll just tell you all the janitors, lobster, shrimp, get this, chicken. They're janitors. They eat unclean things. These are all unclean animals. And people want to talk about it's just pork all the time. But yes, it's unclean. And it was forbid by the Bible in the Old Testament that they not eat these things, that they'd be separate and come out from among those who do. So here's a country that God was concerned about who had an unclean spirit in a man to the number of thousands of demons, and they were herding pigs over there. So God makes a clean sweep. He not only takes care of the demon, he takes care of the pork. But a lot of people don't realize that. Go back and read in Leviticus and all that stuff and tell you what God says to eat and what not to eat. When you eat scavengers, you're eating unclean. As you think about that, you probably think, what am I going to eat for lunch today? Pastors just don't rule out about half of what I eat. When we thanks to God that he has given us the ability to bless what we eat, but that doesn't mean that we should still do things that is unclean. I mean, God, I can show you scripture where he says all things are blessed if we give thanks to it. But how about blessing poison? Will that help you? And then they'll take it. What's it going to do to you? Still kill you. So even if you ask God to bless something that's unclean and you eat it, he wasn't talking about so much the food. He was talking about Gentiles and Jews. That's really what the emphasis was. And the Jews saw the Gentiles were unclean and they wanted to have no dealings with them. So God was showing them that all things have been made clean and sanctified by Jesus. 
when it comes to relationships of people. See, that, that was the drive there. But watch this. Important stuff. And so in verse 11, he says, now there was a big herd of swine feeding. He says, there on the mountain. And the demons entreated him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. So it gives you the idea that demons can also live in animals. You ever seen, sometimes people say, well, that dog seemed like he's mad. <laughs> well, according to this, if demons can be transferred to swine, they can also be transferred to other pets. Remember, we're in a fallen nature. We, we have a fallen nature. We're in a fallen world. So demons look for a place to operate. And they do their most effective work inside of a body of some sort. Because it'd be hard for them to do any real damage outside of a body. So if I get in a dog, I can bite you. If I get in a person, I can kill you. You know, if I get in a system, I can rule over you. See, so it goes on and on. But it just lets you know that if pigs could be possessed, so can other animals be possessed. But look at what it does. Here's what happens. <laughs> and verse 13, and he gave permission and coming out, he says, the unclean spirit entered the swine. Now listen at this. And the herd rushed down the steep bank of the sea, about 2000 of them. So we get an idea of why people say it was 2000 of them. He says, and they were drowned in the sea. And I surmise by that that even pigs got enough sense not to be demon-possessed. Because if the demon said, drive us into the pigs, they thought that they could live there with the pigs for a while. But for some reason, the pigs ran down the hill and drowned themselves. And therefore, the demons would not be able to be effective in the pigs. You might ask the question, well, where are they then if they didn't live in the pig? The Bible speaks of they live in dry places, seeking someone to enter. So they had to find somewhere else to go. But the point of this story is, is that they recognized Jesus and they were cast out, transferred into swine. The swine died, leaving the demons no place to dwell. So watch this. We don't hear a lot of stuff about demons today because most churches are afraid to talk about the fact that there are demons in the church because people get afraid of stuff like that. But your fear is unwarranted because if you have knowledge of it, there's no fear of it. And if you have knowledge that if they were already bowing to the name of Jesus and who he was, if you are with Christ, then they'll bow to you too. That's why he gave them power over unclean spirits. And I've dealt with some unclean spirits before. I know what it's like. I'm not talking about the stuff you see in Hollywood exorcism. I'm talking about really demon-possessed people. And I've dealt with the fact that I had to go in and speak in the name of Jesus and release some people from the bondage that the demons had with them. Very crazy stuff. I was like, what in the world is going on here? Cast a demon out of one woman, and the demon spoke out, said, I'm not coming out. And I said, come out in the name of Jesus. And the demon said again, I'm not coming out. I stood up and said, you'll come out in the name of Jesus. She went limp. And it was almost like she woke up from something. And she said, oh, I didn't think that was ever going to finish. Thank you. And she got up and walked off. I walked away scratching my head. Because you see stuff like that in the Bible. But if you sit and you try to explain it away, see, some of the activity that's going on in your household and around your community is not just you. It's the strongholds of demonic stuff. And we have to have a discerning spirit to be able to know whether this person is really sick or this person has demonic activity going on. In most cases, it's demonic activity. In most cases. 
but Hollywood would play it down a little bit and make you afraid and have you going in with crosses and holy water and seeing the priest get thrown out the window. So you start to think, well, God's word can't be stronger than the devil. But nowhere in the Bible does it teach that Satan has more power than God. As you see, it, it illustrated here that the spirits recognize Jesus and beg permission to not torment me. So none of us should be afraid of demons. None of us. And if this has raveled you up a little bit, get a little closer to Jesus. So they drowned in the sea. Now, here's what happens. Here's the sadness of this story in verse 14. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and out of the country, because they seen what happened. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. In other words, what had happened? What happened over here? All the pigs are dead in the river down here. What went on? You see the demoniac over here, and they see Jesus over here. So all this is going on. It's like a crime scene. And look at verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. So you always have Jojo telling the story on somebody. Jojo came over and said, man, let me tell you what went down here. Jesus came up here. This man was minding his own business. I was hurting my pigs. And Jesus cast a demon out of people. My pigs went down. They all drowned. And now we standing here. I got no profit. I've lost everything. And this man sitting over here like he'd never done anything wrong. That's the way they're looking at it, right? It's a business transaction. Nobody could do anything about this man until Jesus got there. So we're willing to let this man just be a terrorist. But Jesus comes in and he fixes it, right? So watch this. <laughs> in verse 17, and they began to entreat him to depart from the region. They told Jesus to get out. Jesus does a good thing, and they want him to leave. They didn't tell the demon to leave, but they tell Jesus to get out. Unclean spirit was there, and he stayed and tormented that city forever. Jesus comes in and rids them of the unclean spirit, puts the man in his right mind, and they say, get out. They ask Jesus to go. In verse 18, some people are willing to be more tormented than they are delivered. And he was getting into the boat because he told him to leave. So, And the man who had been, listen to this now, demon-possessed, was begging and entreating him that he might accompany him. So, of course, the man's delivered now, right? So he's asking Jesus, can I go? Pretty much, I've got nowhere to go, got nowhere to be. I've been living like this for so long. Can I go with you? Notice what Jesus says to him in verse 19. And he did not let him, he says, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And look at verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. I mean, you think about that for a minute. You think about it for a minute. Jesus delivers this man. Of course he wants to go. I want to go with Jesus. He just helped me. I've been living by myself in these hills and these mountains all by myself. I have nowhere else to go. Everybody here in this town is afraid of me. He said, can I go with you? Jesus said, I need you basically to stay here to be my witness because everybody knew who you were. Now they need to know who you are now. Amen. And that's what it is with us today. Whoever you were is not as important as who you are now. Amen. Whoever you were filled with darkness and demonic activity, now filled with the light and a relationship with God is what he wanted to leave them with. That's the freedom that Jesus talked about. That's the anointing that destroys the yoke of the enemy. And everywhere you see darkness, we have to get closer to Jesus. Amen. Darkness recognizes light. You know how I know? 
you ever go in a dark room and turn on a switch, what does darkness do? It leaves. <laughs> all darkness leaves when light shows up. When Jesus showed up, all the darkness had to go. He set that man free, but not just he set the man free. He set the town free. He set the community free. He set their posterity, their legacy, and he set a new heritage in that town. It was no longer a heritage of terrorism. It was a, it was a heritage of the mercy of God in this place. And I can tell you, as that man got delivered, and it doesn't speak to it right now, but later on, I bet you that man's testimony set so many people free from so many other things. I think Jesus took the worst case and did away with the worst case so he can deal with the rest of the cases. Sometimes if you beat the bully up, you can get everybody else to follow. And he came in that town, he straightened the worst thing out that could have happened. He, that was the worst thing that could have happened. He straightened that out. And people were probably saying, wow, if he got rid of that guy, if he cleaned that guy up, man, there's nothing too hard for God. Amen? All right. Stay with me till next time. Praise the Lord.